Angie has made it easier than ever to hire high-quality pros to get all your home service jobs done well. Just bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie will connect you with local pros who match your specific needs. Or book a service instantly at an upfront price. So join the millions of homeowners who use Angie to care for their homes and get your next home service job done well. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. This is the Adult Swim Podcast. I'm Matt Harrigan. I'm at Stupid Buddy Studios in Burbank, California, home of Robot Chicken. We've been talking to the cast and crew, all the people who make the show. Today, writer Hugh Davidson. He's written for a lot of crazy shows. He's going to tell us all about it. Being with Mike Tyson sets a different tone. It really does. Yeah, than being with Mike Lazo. <laughs> They're both potent figures. What are they? What are their similarities? They're potent. Uh, idiosyncratic. Yeah. Uh, yeah, kind of signature people. Yeah. Um, you kind of think they're one. You kind of want to think they're one thing. Yeah. And then there's going to be something that is confusing, an element that doesn't square with other parts. And then you're like, what? And then you're just confused. What was your first uh, run-in with Mike Tyson? Uh, it, oh, horrendous! I'm shocked you weren't at this. It was when we because someone you didn't go you, you didn't go to that thing the thing where we shot at his house. No. I didn't go to that. Somebody went. Could that have been Walter? Maybe it was Walter. Maybe, yeah. Um, that's when we got. This is the first time we get there at 5 in the morning to uh, why, shoot. Ex- why do you get there at 5 in the morning? To, because, because we were at a cartoon that's barely a cartoon that was uh-huh. then wanting to shoot live action. And, of course, we're incompetent at it. And then we arrive there with – and I've written massive monologues for Mike Tyson. Like, mm-hmm. like soliloquies. Not having any idea, he can't. He's not going to be able to do these. Right. Um, and we get there. It's a hundred and five degrees at five fifteen in the morning. It's and, dark and it's a hundred and five degrees. And this is in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, it is home. Uh-huh. We're going to shoot exterior. We're going to shoot him outside wearing that sweatsuit. Is the plan, and have him say a bunch of stuff that will book in the show. Um, the show was supposed to originally have live action wraparounds. Yes, kind of like a Ka, not Cos, Fat Albert. Fat Albert. Oh, and um, and everyone just assumed Mike Tyson can do this. So then we get there. The wife answers the door and at she's five in the morning. Five in the morning. A- very angry. Are you nervous about ringing Mike Tyson's yes. doorbell at five in the morning? Yes, because it just looks like a fucking house. Why? Why are you there at five? <laughs> and why is not there not someone opening the door and meeting us? Like nothing. It's just like approaching a house. Yeah. And. Uh, she answers the door. She's very angry with Mike, who she says has last night betrayed her trust, and he was in the clubs doing Lord knows what. And she's very, very upset. <laughs> and that was the beginning of the day. It was something. That's 5 a.m. That's 5 a.m. Wow. And we shot all day. That was also, he was sweating so much, and then I watched this local makeup artist take men's Mitchum antiperspirant deodorant and rub it on his forehead. And then we said action. <laughs> like to prevent sweating, she used underarm deodorant. I met you, I think, in 2008 when we were shooting Young Person's Guide to History. Maybe oh. just before that when you were doing Saul of the Mole Men. Yeah. yeah. God, I love Saul of the Mole Men. Yeah. Good old days. Yeah. That was the best. Saul? Saul was the best because I felt like I was just a writer. Yeah. You were a, a writer show. on that show. I was just a writer. Uh-huh. A, I had, a hired gun. I had 
ironically, auditioned for the role of Saul like a year before. Mm-hmm. And I believed I had gotten the part. Craig, the, the, the creator, told me flat out, I was his, he's like, you're, you're it. And then it said it had to go to network for approval. Well, well then I didn't get it because I guess Lazo thought I was not the character. Like they wanted it to be like a, like a schmo, like yeah. a guy who's like a, a dope. And you then were Josh kind of a got cool it. guy. I, I, but I no. wasn't getting, I'm not a cool guy. You're kind of a cool guy. I'm a crazy guy. And then like, so it was frustrating. And then I, but then I was on the writing staff and Josh Gardner was him. And I love Josh. Josh makes me laugh, but Josh is crazy. And the writing of that was the funnest thing in the world. It was like, that to me reminded me of like the same experience when you're doing something and it's crazy and underfunded, which you guys must have, the whole of a beginning of Adult Swim from what I've read was you guys' experience. Yeah, crazy and it just and seemed, underfunded. Yeah, yeah. It just, it was, but it was cool. It was like it seemed you at least thought this is cool and fun to do. You're here in this building, Stupid yes. Buddies, because your, your first writing job was on Robot Chicken. Yes. They brought you back for the special that they're writing now. Yes. And tell us how you got involved with Robot Chicken. Uh, Seth had been um, in those Mike Myers movies, uh, the spy Austin Powers. Austin Powers uh-huh. movies. And the uh, Frau Farbissina is an actress, Mindy Sterling. Mindy was like a teacher at Growlings and was in the main company when I first started at Growlings. Growlings, Growlings Improv. Growlings Improv, local L.A. theater. Um, and she evidently, Seth was putting together, the, I guess, the writing staff. And she said, oh, I think Growlings people would, I guess, she said, they'd be good for this. It's sketch, and they do sketch. And so Seth came to see a show, an improv show, and I was in it. Coincidentally, Eddie Izzard was in that show. Um, But the show was very funny, probably because Eddie Izzard. And then Seth came up to me afterwards, and he was like, oh, I like. would you come in and and interview? And I was was very excited. I did at the time think, I'm going to be an actor. I had no thought of being a writer. Weirdly, but as a improv person, you write for yourself. Yes, and even at Growlings, you write your own sketches. So you're like you are grooming yourself at, at the worst to be a sketch writer. Um, but I came in, so I had a packet of sketches, and I gave them. And then uh, I remember very vividly, Doug Goldstein, who's one of the head writers at the time now and still is, I guess. Or I don't know what he is, his official title. Doug, um, he's very blunt and. You'd say he's impolitic, but he said after reading one of my sketches, "This is not funny at all," <laughs> which seemed unnecessary. He could have say. he could have said it's very funny, but we're not hiring, right? And instead, but worse, he said it's not funny at all, and then they hired me. It made no sense. The mixed message, yes. But I, I and I the very sketch. It was one of the sketches I had done at Groundlings, and it, and I would it would do great every weekend. What was Groundlings. it? So it was about ironically. Even though this is like 20 years ago, it was about John Bolton, who is currently the, what is he, the National Security Advisor? What, uh, so uh, 20 years ago, you were writing John Bolton sketches. Uh, John Bolton because he was in the UN. He was appointed to the UN by one of by Bush, Bush, the son. Wow, and, that was a niche. Yes, comedy piece. But no one knew who he was. But he had he had these hilarious quotes where he said he wanted to bomb the UN. He was very funny. He seemed to me. He seemed like a funny guy. Now he's no. you know he's. Not so much in the big Now it's not as funny anymore, people think. So you wrote a John Bolton sketch. Mm -hmm. Doug Goldstein said it was terrible. Yes. And they hired you. They hired me. And then I think. That's very like a dream. Like a weird. 
And then I struggled at, at, at first with the shortness of sketches, the brevity that they were going for. Um, You're at long. I, I, I'm a dully paced fellow. And I think even at like Groundlings, people think I go too slow. So like let alone on a show that prides itself on like these 10 second things. Um, it was a, it seemed like a bad match, but but I think I I was different, and they they found a way to make make it so my sketches would get in. And I think they they because they're a little bit on the different side, and I don't know shit about pop culture. I'm older, crucially older than Matt and Seth, and my touchstones and memories are not quite theirs. I was like I feel like none of the toys they were into, none of the the movies really. I had just been a little bit too old. So you were writing long, long-winded, long-winded, unfunny <laughs> yeah. sketches about yeah. obscure political figures. Yes, yeah, and knew nothing about the references that they were. Right. right. So I, I should have been a, a robot chicken failure, but for some reason I'm I'm I, I and I don't know what the hell it is. What do you think it was? I don't know. I, I think that I think I ma- I think I make Tom laugh, and. Uh, and Tom helped me figure out how to get my sketches to work on the show. Do you remember your first sketch that got in? Yeah, it was like a, it was a song, and I, that's another thing. I don't sing at all, but for some reason, I've written like four songs on Robot Chicken. But um, the song, it was a, it was about that legend, urban legend in New York, where like if a person falls and gets trapped between the subway and the subway platform, and then their body is like somehow mushed. And then they're alive fully because it creates some wa- fantasy tourniquet, yep. and they're perfectly fine. Yeah. And then, they, but if they pull the train away, instant death. Instant death. So then I they just had my guy down. stay there, yeah. and he then he, he he lived out the rest of his a long life, <laughs> and he had a long happy life. But but also my added thing was he didn't like his job. So even though he should have had a, a different attitude, that seems disconnected from the the Transformers and yes, Smurfs. And... Yes, yeah. So that's huh. my kind of thing. And the worst part of it is all those songs that I've written for them, because I at some point had to email them. iPhones are so you know dastardly; they're in my iTunes. So occasionally in my car, if I press shuffle, I can hear my own stupid voice singing a song on Robot Chicken. Wow! Every once in a while, like one in three hundred songs. And, and I, those songs made it onto the show. They did. That one did. And one about uh, Petroleum Pete. I played a dinosaur. People want to know how it, how it works. Like how, how the, stop, the stop motion part is actually so fantastic. It's, a, it's like eye candy to me. I, do, I so get it. Um, it's appeal because there's something magical about watching these stupid dolls. Um, and I like even I had written a sketch for Star Wars, and it was about the Wampa. Yeah, and um, it was like Luke pulls into a gas station, and his X-wing fighter. I decided there were gas stations, and then like the Wampa's there, and the Wampa's like he's having a shitty life ever since his arm was cut off, and like he he parks on the wrong side of the thing. The gas tank is on the run. He's like ah, and then he drives around to the other side, and then he like drops his keys, and he has trouble with the gas because he has one arm. It's all so hard. His life is so hard, and Luke is just watching it, and he feels so bad about what happened. And that that uh, Chris McKay directed that one, I think. Are you a Star Wars fan? Eh, I like Star Wars. Is there peer pressure here to like Star Wars? There is there, and and certainly to know what the fuck you're talking yeah. about. Yeah. Do you know the names of all the little? 
animals and shit? <laughs> no, I was good. I was good through Empire Strikes Back, but even the third one, I was like, they, they seem so stupid. The Ewoks. I was like, oh, you lost the plot. I loved the first two though, but then they there's like six the more. Now yeah. there's all these other fucking things. Yeah. These other things. You have to. Uh, do you pretend to to like Star Wars and to no? Care they, about it? I think what ended up happening. Thank God. Is there was no hiding my ignorance. They, the robot chicken guys, have decided to think it's funny that I don't know stuff. And so now it's at least all cards are on the table. And they just laugh. So now it's like I'm the old the old man who doesn't know what he's you know, he doesn't know anything. What are your go to references now? Being uh, the old man on the staff. Uh Jesus. Like uh, they're so they don't work at all. None of it works. I, I don't mean, have any. John Bolton was very yeah, <laughs> yeah, no, that did come back. You know, yeah. he did he did occupy space in the public sphere later on in life. But you know, I'm always either way ahead of my time in a useless way, or it's something they just don't they don't get. They're they're, they're like, what is this? We, we don't have no reason for this. So you started on the show, yeah. at the beginning of the show, yes, and then you were there for how long? Uh, I. Th- well, it was unclear to me how they really worked. I think I was in the early days. To me, I was like a robot chicken regular writer. In point of fact, I think they they hired lots of people in between. I would work for like six weeks a year, and then another year would pass, and I'd get it back invited back to Robot Chicken and do another six weeks. So you get invited in, cycle. and do you feel like you'd have to prepare, uh, get yourself up to date with? Not with- really, because I found a, I found a technique that worked for me. What was that? The, Matt and Seth, in their desperation to to fill the shows with the garbage that they put in the shows, they would have a dry erase board. And on this dry erase board would be all these stupid titles of, of movies, pop culture crap, and toys that they loved. So I could sit there and look at the list, look it up, go straight to Wikipedia, find out what it was. And like, if actually, there's a, a sort of interesting story. So how long were you there before you bailed? Uh, on Robot Chicken? Yeah. I think... I would always do Robot Chicken. I did the Star Wars specials. Mm. I did the DC specials. So, uh, so you oh, that did was another Bat- song I did, a Batman song. In DC? and the DC special? Yeah. What was the song? It was called Sailing. I just thought it was funny because Green Lantern, he would like, if they went into space, Green Lantern would always like have to do his ring for Batman and the, and the people that couldn't travel in space. And it looked so embarrassing. Like they're... The way they got to the bat interstellar battle was embarrassing, and I thought that. So my idea for the sketch was Batman talked to him about a different vehicle. Could he choose a different vehicle than just the sphere, the green sphere, and he chose a sailboat. And then I kind of just, I tried to write a kind of yacht rocky song that was about sailing, and he just was in a <laughs> relaxed mood. So you didn't really bail. You just no. I I do it whenever I can. Whenever you could, yeah. weren't doing something. Yes. And then what came next? You stumbled uh, into... Mike Tice. Uh, no, I guess... It, so then after... This is all before Saul? No, Saul Saul is after Robot Chicken, maybe the first or second writing job of Robot Chicken. Um, cycle, they call them here. Where, oh. Like you work for like six weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I wrote on Saul. Then I acted on Saul when we shot it. I played one of the people in the suit, in the outfits. Listen, man, I was in one of those outfits for about three hours. It's something else, wasn't it? It it was terrible. Yeah, I was in it the whole time. But I was like, I was having such a fun time. And I really thought it was like, could potentially be something. Then when we would get the scripts, I kind of thought like, 
I think we we blew it. But With the scripts, yeah. Why? There was too much bull. There was too much, too much story that no one cared about. Too much plot that you had to kind of follow, mm-hmm. and then you weren't really following it. Like it didn't stay simple enough. I think. I think it got too too fucking crazy. It's collapsed on itself. Yeah, I think so. But I had such a fun time acting in it. It was very fun. And then what did after, you play? I played a bunch. I played Bertram, who was like a guy, a mole man. So I was in that big suit with the face. Oh, and by the way, at this point in time, I believe in Hollywood, proper Hollywood. They have things called fat suits. Mm-hmm. Well, our production did not. We had a, a thing called a beanbag chair, which was like taped to me to create a fat suit. Wow. DIY. See, yeah, it was like worse, though. That's a low-budget fat it suit. It really was. And then... Um, then I played a guy named Nathaniel Baltimore, which was just like a uh, mustache guy. I don't remember what he was about. And then uh, I played Thomas Jefferson. And then supposedly Mike Lazo liked that. And I, it came back to me. I heard that, that, the, that the Adult Swim Brass, of which you might have been a part, they were like, that's the show. <laughs> that's the show. Yeah, the Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. So then I thought, oh, my God, I'm finally being recognized. I'm going to be the star of this spinoff. And I thought, this will work so well. And then that proceeded to be just like a, a car wreck. Young Person's Guide to History. Yeah. Have you watched it lately? Uh, I watched a little bit of one because I had to put together a reel for something, an acting reel, like yeah. three years ago. Mm-hmm. And I watched a little bit of it. And I found parts of it amusing, mm-hmm. but not the whole it seemed like a way worse version than drunk history. It's like it's like two people wanted to do a thing about history, and one person did it in a funny way, and we did it in an unfunny way. Well, you know that uh, you played the role of uh, Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. That completely inspired uh, Hamilton. Yeah, probably. Yeah, probably. No, he's come. He's been on the record. Lin Manuel. Yeah. Wow. He saw that show, and he was like, "There is a, there's a." I have an idea. There's a spark here. They've just missed it. They've just missed it, but there's something here. <laughs> it's like that band that, that didn't didn't realize there's a band that recorded the song so much like Stairway to Heaven, right? And they're mad, and then they're but it's like, but you missed it, right. guys. <laughs> we could <laughs> sue them. Um, yeah, let's that, sue Lin Manuel around. That was a uh, young person's guide to history. I remember started out as a as a longer series of episodes. They got condensed down to two yes one would say uh almost punitively distilled (laughs) yeah punitively i wish you could read my scripts from that era though i think you would like them a lot of uh interesting people in those episodes yeah yeah uh will Uh, forte did a bit Mm -hmm. mike hitchcock did a bit yep because i knew all those groundlings people and um, michaela watkins michaela was in it Mm -hmm. Edie patterson who's on righteous gemstones now she was in it um, Annie Mumolo, who co-wrote Bridesmaids with Kristen Wiig, was in it. Uh, who else? Larry was in it, but Larry hasn't gone on to anything famous. Larry Dorf. The great Larry Dorf. Yeah. He did, uh, but he did the thing where he, he dressed as a woman in a talk show for you guys. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. How was that? Terrible or funny? Uh, it was, it had, uh, some funny parts to it. It was, uh-huh. it was, uh, peculiar. Yeah. It was, um... I auditioned for that. You did? Yeah. And I went in with two other people, and it was one of the, it felt like one of those auditions, like commercial auditions are like this. Uh-huh. And it's like, you know, just weird people off the street. You're in a room with suddenly you're going to improvise with them, and you can just tell they are so desperate 
to talk that yes. you a normal human will just give up and just sink inside themselves yes. which i did i just i gave up they were uh they had some hot takes and they were <laughs> fighting to express them yes yes yeah. the happy broads uh-huh. that had some good people in it yeah yeah tommy blotcha earthquake uh-huh T- didn't tommy do something on young person's guide did he play something uh i, I feel don't like he remember. came out and he did one thing Tim and Eric popped through that yeah. show. Seth Green did a bit on it. Seth, yeah. Um, yep. Did he wipe the booger on the curtain? Oh, maybe. I feel like that. Maybe. That was a that show was fraught with peril. Yeah. But you know what came out of that also was um, Dave Willis uh, did a test mm-hmm. for a young person's or for your pretty um, faces going to hell. Yeah. 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 So it was a real incubator. Uh huh. Yeah. A lot of there were a lot of great ideas. They just didn't get. They didn't coalesce. Mm-hmm. Not for Young Person's Guide. Ahead of guide. its time. And a good title, Young Person's Guide to History. Yeah. We didn't do much with it, though. Yeah, we set the network back a bit there. You think so? I think. Yeah. I think. So that went away. I feel, re- I feel a little responsible. And what happened? What then happened after then? that, uh, we, I got a, Peter Girardi, licking his wounds, took a job as a uh, chastened. He took a job at Warner Brothers Animation where he works as an as a executive. Yeah. Then Peter hired me to come in and do a brainstorming session about what to do with the Looney Tunes. Mm-hmm. And it was like me and Steve Little and some of those old crew. Oh, yeah, Steve was in Young Person's Guide. Yes. Um, and we, we said – the only thought I really had at the time was, well, I've written all these sketches for both Robot Chicken and Groundlings. I have, I'm sitting on a treasure trove of written material, not, not treasure at all. But I, I and I thought we could what we should do with the Looney Tunes is pitch it as like the, a version of the Muppet Show, so it's like a sketch show, and then make like the, the Muppet or whatever the fuck they're called, the Looney Tunes do the same thing like Kermit used to do, like Bugs could put on a hat and be a newsman or something, whatever. I don't know what the idea was. And then so we started down that road. They loved it. We started down that road. Who loved it? Uh, the, the, it was Sam and Peter, I think. Uh, Warner Brothers. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. But then, crucially, someone higher up at Warner Brothers swooped in, Peter Roth, and he was like, this is not the Bugs Bunny I know. And it was all – then we had to start over. But then the great thing about it was we ended up writing a sitcom, basically, with Bugs and Daffy living in a house together. It was a very, like, the odd couple. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very fun to write. Kristen Wiig played Lola Bunny – Fred Armisen played Speedy Gonzalez. We got some of some of our funny friends to be on it. Did you feel a responsibility messing around with Bugs Bunny and Daffy no. Duck? No, I didn't give you a didn't shit care. about that. Because <laughs> it's like they they had already done, people had already ruined it. That's what they always say. They're like they're like these are the crown jewels. Uh-huh. But guess what Warner Brother does with the crown jewels? They have parking signs in their parking garages with like Bugs Bunny wearing a hard hat, pointing and saying "Sorry for our dust, Doc." It's like they've already fucking ruined him. The poor bastard is being ruined every day. So there, we, could, we weren't going to ruin it. Yeah, the great cartoons exist. Go. There was no them. solemnity. No, no, to that. No. So you. So that was fun. We wrote two seasons of a half-hour sitcom, and really, what basically, was that called? it was uh, called the Looney Tunes Show. Unmemorable title. Huh. But um, it basically was a great writing uh, testing ground. Because, like, you know, if you write. In the real world of comedy, live action, you're not going to write so many scripts. You're going to be on a staff. You're going to write like maybe one a season. You're punching up. You're sitting in a room all day. For this, we got to write 50 episodes 
by ourselves. And it's like that's it was huge the amount of volume that we wrote. And then fifty episodes, fifty, yeah, fifty half hour, seasons. twenty minute episodes, yeah. It was two seasons. It was technically 52, but for some reason we quit right before the end. Oh, because maybe Mike Tyson had come along. And they wanted us on that. And, and, and Warner Brothers was like, eh, we're done with the Looney Tunes show. It's, the kids don't like it. And, and mm-hmm. made, it, the kids couldn't. They, they would never like it. Made them cry. We wrote it. We, it was such an adult show. We just had Bugs and Daffy sitting in coffee shops. But, like, we wrote it just to amuse ourselves, sadly. Um, but it was still a great experience. And then... I think it could have done better if it had a laugh track. It needed to tell the kids what was funny. Mm. The kids can't figure that out on their own. Oh, they're kids. Yeah. So it's like but when they watch those Disney live action nightmares, those, those horrible things, they, they have a fake laugh thing going all the time. Do so, they? Yeah. So it's like they, they need to, be, to know. That, otherwise, they think Daffy Duck is mean. They didn't know they could laugh at him. Yeah, he is mean. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. <laughs> he is mean. So you're sitting there you at Warner this, Brothers. At Warner Brothers. Yeah. Are you in an office and the phone yes. rings? No. Sam or Peter comes in, and Peter was he was given a mandate to start uh, going down the path of trying to get into adult comedy for Warner Brothers. And then he comes in the office. He's like, "We have this thing with Mike Tyson," and so they already had a sizzle reel, which was Mike Tyson, Andrew Dice Clay, I believe, was in it. And maybe it was like uh, some old Hanna-Barbera characters would pop up. So and then I was like, you know, Mike Tyson had appeared in The Hangover, which I thought that looked very funny to me. I didn't see that. I'm one of the few people who haven't seen The Hangover. Mm. But like he at least that looked like good use of Mike Tyson. But by the time we were going to use it, I was like, this is lame. It's like it didn't seem funny to me. And so I was all ready to tell Peter no. And I did. And then, because that was like the first time in my life I turned down a job. And then Peter goes, please. And then I say, yes. Wow. I was, I was a real pushover. Yeah, that was easy. Yes. But then it became fun because I did write, I wrote like five outlines for the first five episodes. Again, just like thinking, this is what I would do to make this funny. If you like it, great. If you don't like it, I don't care. I'm, I'm gone. And then Lazo liked it. Uh, he, he must have seen the outlines and he liked it. We went into production and then it became super fun to work on once we got the cast in place. And it really is very fun to work on. And I, I find it very uh, funny. I mean, it's like it has Norm MacDonald in it. Who wouldn't laugh at Norm MacDonald? You'd have to be crazy. Yeah. So you wrote some outlines. Lazo yeah. liked it. You started writing scripts. Yeah. And then, then – so then – oh, then we, I guess we'd probably written like five scripts before that fateful encounter with Mike Tyson at his mm-hmm. house at five in the morning. I'd never – because we weren't recording any of them yet. We were just writing um, maybe proof of concept yeah. and stuff. Wrote half a dozen scripts or yeah, so. Yeah, yeah. I think that's right. And then it was time. Like, okay, well, uh, now we can really do this. Let's record them. So you got news that it had been ordered? Yes. And then you have to go record Mike yes. at his house in Vegas? <laughs> yeah. That was the shocker. But then from then on, it became, it became fun, and my, I love Mike Tyson. I would, be, I would be one of those people. If Mike Tyson, you know, goes crazy, yeah. and he, like, King Kong murders a bunch of people, mm-hmm. and t- takes, you know, goes, goes crazy with his fists, right. full of unbridled anger, like the Hulk. If that happens, I would be one of those dopes on the local news saying, I, that's not the Mike I know. What is it about him that... I don't. Like? He seems like a, he seems like so not, not like an athlete. Like I feel like you you think of these ex professional athletes and they 
they want to still be, and I don't know that many, I feel like I, I, just seeing interviews, they look like they still expect and want you to think they're that still that athlete. Yeah. And there's something about Mike Tyson that seems like no part of him identifies with being a boxer or an athlete. He just seems like uh, this person, and he has kind of a fun affect about him. It's like, it's like he makes no sense to me. He comes off nerdy and nice and sweet, and he's kind of, got, he's kind of sensitive while at the same time being very insensitive. Like he doesn't notice shit. Um, but like he'll, he'll say – he says thank you to people in the gentlest way. He'll take a picture with anyone. He, he, he's just like – he seems like – I don't know. Like he had a transformation. How, yeah, how does that square with his general perception with his history? I think I, I don't know. You know, it's like he, you walk around with him. Like the few times I've been around. Oh, one time we were in, at New York Comic Con, and it seemed like a, a fight almost happened um, with the guys from uh, what did it have been the Boondocks? Is the guy? Is there a guy Michael Jai White? Yeah, he's like a big fighting guy, right? I'm not sure. I think he is. I think he's like a uh, whatever you call it, Mar- okay. mixed martial arts. Uh-huh. And he's an actor. Uh-huh. And and crucially, he seems to have portrayed Mike Tyson in the Mike Tyson unauthorized story that oh. aired on like ABC in like late 80s. Oh, no. So we're all walking down a hallway, the Mike Tyson crew and the Boondocks crew, whatever's walking the other fucking oh, way. No. And it was like it, it seemed like the Sharks and the Jets, except... Who cares about the rest of the fucking co- cartoon nerds on either team? It's just this one big guy and then Mike Tyson. And, and then it, it got so weird. And the guy Tommy Davidson, the comedian, yeah. was on Boondocks. He seemed to try to diffuse it. He did the comedian's role. He was like, you know, let's make it funny. Let's take down the temperature. And then he was trying that. And that did not work at all. And I feel like at one point he was... Sl- Mike Tyson sort of gently moved him to the side, and it was like a chest-to-chest shit. And then my wife, Rachel, at the time was like, oh, she was wanting to – I was like, we got to get the fuck out of here. We're all going to be beaten to a pulp. And then, Just a tornado yeah, of violence. Yeah, like, like you don't know how bad this is about to get. And then like somehow Mike – I don't know what happened. You could barely hear them. He was Tyson angry. Walked on. He was angry. I, thought he, I think he was angry. That, that this guy had portrayed him in a yeah, negative light? Yeah. And then I think this guy was, like, tough, too. Didn't want to back down. It was uh-huh. like, probably through, it wasn't this guy's fault. So it was like, you know, just one of those things. So what happened? Kind of nothing. Nothing. But it was a lot of hearts racing. Yeah. You know. You thought that maybe a, this was gonna be there a, could be a snap of some yeah. sort? Our show was going to end here and there, right in the moment. Wow. And that was before it had aired. And, you'd moved, and you moved on down the hall. Yeah. <laughs> Wow. We went on down the hall. How has uh, the perception of the show been? Have, have people been responsive to it? Um, you know, it's funny. It's like all Adult Swim shows, I'm old enough that I don't know any person that barely even knows what Adult Swim is. So you know what? It's like a younger audience. Mm-hmm. So young people, I'm sure, love it. I don't mix with any of those people, so I don't know. You don't mix with them? No. <laughs> I'm our age and older. Do young people know Mike Tyson? I think they don't. I think they don't. I think, it, if anything, they just think he's like a character on a show now. I don't think any of them know about they boxing. They know him from the show. Yeah, or they, they probably get him confused with George Foreman. I don't think there's any real, you know, sense of who he was. He's just a, um, a character now. Yeah, he's a toothless lion. That's what he called himself. He was like, uh, oh, because we were trying to get a Vander Holyfield for one thing. Uh-huh. 
And Evander Holyfield was like holding out for like a million dollars or something because he thought like to do a voice, he should be paid like a boxing match. And then it was like, you know, Evander. And then Mike was being – Mike Tyson was actually being very funny about it. He was like, he was like I told Evander, Evander, we're, we're old lions, man. We don't got our teeth anymore. We got to just live our lives, man. <laughs> and then, but then Mike was like laughing. He's like, all oh, these old boxers, they always want a lot of money. And then we did, it's just the deal never happened. So we didn't write a, a thing with Evander Holyfield, which was just as well, because no one in the audience gives a shit about Evander Holyfield. How about Norm? Norm's the funniest person. I think he's the funniest person in the, on earth, but I thought that when I was, you know, younger. Norm MacDonald. How did yes. he come into the show? He just, you know, weirdly, um, Peter had worked with, Peter Girardi had worked with... Uh, some of the people Norm mixes with, particularly the guy who played Saul and Saul the Mole Man, Josh Gardner. Josh Gardner, who I happen to know because he's the first cousin of, of another groundling guy of my era, Nat Faxon. And Nat Faxon and Jim Rash are writing partners. They, they were like Oscar winners. They, wrote, they won an Oscar for The Descendants. But they're, they're both very sketch comedy kind of guys. And Jim Rash at that point had become also the dean on Community and then was on our show. But Josh Gardner, who's Nat's first cousin, was Norm's opener on many tours for stand-up. So there was this connection to Josh, uh, to Norm through Josh, that Peter, when he called and just we offered him the role of Pigeon, I think he was receptive and he other, that he otherwise might not have been um, because of that little bit of familiarity with Peter. A little bit of shorthand. Yeah. And then he came in, and my God, he did the funniest thing the first time. Norm did not want to do his normal voice on the show. And so he came in, and he did a thing that was making me laugh so hard. Cause he, but that's the problem. If you think someone's so funny, everything you do, you think is fun, they do, you think is funny. But he was basically doing his impression of Sterling Hayden, uh, the guy in – the general in um, Dr. Strangelove. Mm-hmm. So um, Norm is, doesn't sound like Norm for the first, like, three pages of the script. And Peter Girardi, the, the executive at Warner Brothers, gets this ashen look on his face, like, we've hired Norm MacDonald to be Norm MacDonald. No one's going to know what this fucking thing is. It's like an impression of a guy from 1960. But I was laughing so hard because it was just, like, so funny. And then it was my job to tell Norm that we didn't want that. And it was terrible. I was so, like, embarrassed Oh, my God, even more, Norm brought his mother to the record. Now, Norm has got to be – so the mother's like a grandmother-type-aged person. She's a little old lady, very sweet. She's in the voice booth. He comes in. I'm like, oh, my God, this is Norm MacDonald. This is going to be so great. He begins reading the first bit of dialogue, and he's doing it in a voice that doesn't sound anything like Norm MacDonald. Why, why was that choice made, do you think? His own creative mm-hmm. juices. And – you know what's funny is it's like he was right. It was very funny. Do you think he didn't want to be Norm Macdonald probably, in the show? Probably. I think he like – I think he's got like a – and I get it because then it's like, he, you know, if he's Norm Macdonald and he writes his own material, uh, whatever, he's in charge of his career. If he sounds like Norm Macdonald and he makes a joke and I've written the joke and the joke sucks – it's embarrassing for Norm MacDonald. Everyone's like, Norm MacDonald's not funny anymore. So he's going to do the cartoon, but he's going to do it in a funny voice that no one will recognize. Right. 
preserve some and anonymity. And I'm telling you, you would have laughed hard at this performance of his because it was something. It was also correct. It was a great choice. Do you have it? I bet we we must unless they unless like all things they pressed a race. I don't know. Um, but it was like. But also, I get that the audience wouldn't have gotten it. So you are learning this of this decision in real time in yes. the studio with Norman, his mom, and yes. Peter. Yes. Yes. And then Peter's like saying, okay, let's sit. Like we did one script and Peter's like, let's take a break. And then I just said it. I said, I blamed the network. And I said, is this all right, Peter, if we just say? And then I said, I kept saying they. And I'm like, they want you to be Norm. They really do. And how did that go over? <laughs> he, was, he seemed, he was like, yeah. Okay. He seemed like a person who's like, I've heard this same line. Fuck it. I'll, I'll, the dumb corporation is wrong, but I'll do it. Whatever. And he just did it. And then he was super funny, and he was still he was great. But I, I, he would have been super funny doing the other thing too. Just no one would have understood what it was. Yeah. Has uh, having had Norm Macdonald on the show, do you think that attracted a bigger audience? I don't. That's a that. I don't know. I, I bet a little bit. I know Norm's got his core audience. I feel like he might have an, a slightly skewing older audience. That might be think that that when they look at an Adult Swim show, their 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 guard is up so high, and they just go, "This is weird, and it's not for me." Mm-hmm. Um, and they don't like take the time to go, "Oh, it's not that weird," you know? Because it's, it's Mike Tyson mysteries is not that weird. It's not set that avant garde. It's like they get a mystery, and then there's jo- it's like it's not that hard to follow. Did he end up? Uh, improvising, changing the lines? He, he, every once in a while, he's super smart and s- very well read. Um, and every once in a while, Norm will do something that's very, can be v- embarrassing, where he'll say, the grammar's not right here, or you've got the tenses sort of, what's your, and those become embarrassing to me. Like if he, but he never, he you never, he thinks the jokes are funny. Yeah, I blame the network. Uh, he thinks the jokes are funny, and I think he genuinely thinks the show is funny. So there's a little bit of anxiety that Norm – you want Norm to like it. Yeah, I think so, for sure. How about Mike? Mike, the only time – Mike, he loves uh, that people tell him the show is great. Does he watch it? I doubt it. I bet he watches every once in a while. Um, he thinks – Mike will think things are funny if his character gets mad. He likes that. He loves saying motherfucker, and he loves, he loves getting angry. It's like – and he's good at it, as you can imagine. But like his acting transitioning from like a kind of laughing or saying a line and then getting angry. And by the way, I still always find it funny because I think it kind of can happen in real life with him. Like he's very compu- – impulsive, sorry. He's very impulsive. So like if Mike just wants something, he, he just grabs it or he – he doesn't think about the consequences. It doesn't appear to me. He's not governed by the, the laws of, of physics as we are. He just moves through the universe on his own thing. Have you f- ever felt threatened by him? Uh, one time I th- – no, I've never felt threatened. But one time I felt like he was mad. And I know one time he did not like a joke, which was we did a sort of par- semi-parody, a gentle parody of those uh, Real Housewives shows – and ours was – it was the mystery was why did one set of housewife and her husband not get invited to the – to some charity ball? And it was set in Newport Beach. So it was among rich people. And then we basically formatted our show like one of the, those shows. So it was like you met the four real bitches of Newport Beach, we called it. 
And then just apropos of nothing, we had Mike also do one of those things where he goes, I'm Mike Tyson. I solve mysteries. I'm known for two things. I, I solve mysteries and I'm a bitch. And or something, because every woman kept saying that was their joke, like, and I'm a bitch. Like every, every beach city needs a bitch and I'm that bitch. So they kept having these jokes. So Mike needed to do it too. And he had a, an incredible reluctance to say, I'm a bitch. And I think it carried great uh, – that that carried great significance in in prison life, where he had got, he had done that, and he did not he did not want to say that, and he did it he did it and he kind of swallowed the line. I was like Mike, it'll be funny, just do it, and he did it. But I, I didn't he didn't do it with zest. Did you keep it? We did, yeah. And it is it works because it's like in a packaged thing. Yeah. But he didn't he didn't lean into it. As they say these days, that had been an uncomfortable. Yes, assignment. that one was. And then one time he got, I saw him get, he became mad talking about Don King. What got him mad? Uh, I think he has strong negative feelings about Don King, or did at the time. I think he might have had a rapprochement with him since then. But I think uh, at the time, he was like, he he was he, he was telling some story. Don King came up. And he he then he started talking about what a motherfucker he is and like kind of got real mad and it seemed real. His anger. Is he healthy? Is he in good shape? He vacillates enormously. Um, it's so funny because sometimes I'll think like, oh my god, he's gained a lot of weight and he's old. And then the next time, the last time I saw him, he seemed thin or not thin, but like uh, in shape and totally with it and like a young guy. So he goes. He's always riding waves. Has he ever punched you? Uh, one time in my excitement, this is early on, I don't know what the fuck my brain was thinking. I was excited. We had just finished. He came out of the booth. And for some reason, I kind of got my arms moving in this way with my fists clenched like, like uh, I don't know, like a kid, like with excitement. And, I was, and then I kind of like, I found myself kind of like punching him on the arm for no reason. Like, out of excitement. Like, I should have just hugged him. And instead, like, I did the one thing you should never do. And then he immediately got himself into a boxing position. And then he didn't do anything. But I was like, oh, my God, what have I done? Like, it's the last thing you should do to that dude. And his body is the – he has the craziest body I've ever seen up close. Like, his I, – I don't know why I know this. Maybe because we had to get him shoes once for the live action stuff. He has a size he's 15 and a half foot. Now, he's not taller than me, but I, that's a big foot. Yeah. And then his hands, the fingers are not that long, but the meat part of the hand, the, this part is double my hand. It's like crazy looking, and it, it looks crazy, and when you shake it, it's crazy. Yeah. Then the other thing that's crazy is the distance from his, I would say from his chest to his back. Like a lot of people like have broad shoulders, Mm -hmm. but they're not like broad also. Like a cube. Yes. And then that's when it dawns on you. Like he would be in pot. Like one time I thought, like he was a little mad. I thought if he went crazy, what would I do? Is there a weapon? What would be the thing? Yeah. If he wanted to get me, do I have one shot? What would it be? (laughs) I I was thinking and I was like, do you try to strike the head with a big heavy metal thing? And just looking at him, he looks impossible to stop. I think you would – I don't know what you'd do. I think you got to just play dead. Yeah. Drop to the ground and wait yeah. to be counted out. Yeah. Maybe his eyes don't see movement if you just 
It's like he, he doesn't look like he cares. Yeah. Like I don't think he'd be filled with anger. Like he wouldn't want to beat me up for that reason, but he might just be in berserker mode. And then maybe if you just went if you stayed still, he'd just pass you. It's an unlikely uh, circumstance for a cartoon. Yes, yeah. But I think it gives it that, uh, you know what's funny? Because I always think like that, I always want that to be a little bit in our show. Like the feeling, oh, he's so gentle and he's, not, he's nice and he's the hero of the show or whatever, the ni- he's the nice dad. But then just a little bit, like, uh, shit, he could go crazy and kill us all. Like, everyone should remember that. Secret sauce. Yeah, so we put yeah. in a l- little bursts of anger we'll throw in every once in a while. Just to keep you like, whoa. Can look for those. Yeah. Where are you in the in the status? Where's that show now? Mike Tyson is, we are in post on our fourth season. Wow. So how many episodes is that? Four the, coming up on 40? I think 60. 60. Isn't that crazy? Holy cow. Yeah. 60 episodes. Uh-huh. It might be 50. It's some, yeah, maybe it's 50. Maybe we did 10 the first season and then 20, 20, 20. A lot of shows don't go that long. Yeah. Yeah, it's very especially because I thought this show would go one, one episode, yeah. one season. Mm-hmm. I thought I would have bet the house on Young Person's Guide to History, <laughs> and and giving you zero dollars yeah. place on Mike Tyson. You history. never know. Yeah, yeah, it's very true. So you're an actor, also. Yes. Yeah. Reno nine one one Arrested Development Will mm. and Grace. Yes. Nobody's. Nobody's. The show Nobody Watched. Larry Dorff. Yeah. So you guys ended up being writing partners? Yeah, Larry was in Groundlings with me, same with Rachel, and we... And you then three. That, the three of us were working on all these Warner Brothers things like Looney Tunes, and, and Rachel and Larry write on Mike Tyson. It's me, Rachel, Larry, basically writing all the episodes. Mm-hmm. So your experience on the fr- fringes of kids' television informed Nobody's. Yeah, and then we... And then we shot two seasons of that. So what's it like uh, being funny out in Hollywood these days? Um, Is it relaxing? Is it stressful? I think the one thing I didn't think about as as a career in the the comedy side, I did not think this part through. One, I think there's a lot less money in it than my fantasies. And maybe also that changed over time with all these channels. But but it's like, why else would I have had a television show? Like... You know, it all got – there's so many choices now. Of course, it's all less money. But then the other thing that I didn't think about is when you become an adult, like, it's just hard. Jobs are hard, and then you have your life, and then you go to your job, and your job is supposed to be laughing all day, but then maybe a bunch of things went terrible in your life. It's twice – like, now I think I should have been dramatic, and if I was writing on, you know – SVU law and order and it's all about you know some horrible thing with a kid that got murdered then when your life goes bad you come to work it's fine you 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 write a thing about a kid that got murdered but then you don't have to like pretend to be laughing so that's like my I think my advice would be get into drama you know like why comedy it's too hard to keep laughing have you done voices I do voices occasionally for these guys mm-hmm. I played a who did I play a hairdresser on one of the Robot Chicken sketches? I mean, the Star Wars ones. Um, but then, like, the one I thought, oh, this is definitely, mm. I should do this one. They gave it to Seth MacFarlane. Oh. And I was like, what an does he not have enough bullshit to do? <laughs> Who can't? Come on. I wrote it. You don't get to cast it. No, but it was like, come on. I would have been fine. I would have been no different. There would have been no drop-off. I'm telling you. 
Seth MacFarlane. Hugh Davidson. Yes. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Be sure to visit adultfilm.com slash podcast for the links to some of the things Hugh and I were just talking about. And send us an email if you want to, adultfilmpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks to Dave Bonowitz and Christina Loringer for editing and producing these podcasts. Thanks to Maggie Cannon for her help organizing all this. And the good people at Stupid Buddies for having me. And thank you for listening.